So let's read Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Well, today I want to begin with a eulogy for my faithful and beloved 20-year-old Honda lawnmower that finally came to the end of its life just a bit over a week ago. Uh, this lawnmower has served me faithfully for all of those years, starting first time, uh, coping without ever complaining, even though it was constantly neglected. I think I serviced it once in its 20-year life, uh, but last week it finally came to a dignified end. And so I decided to um, perform an autopsy on the Lord and I got out the socket set to try to determine uh, the cause of death. And uh, for someone who knows next to nothing about motors, all that I can conclude from that experience is that it was very educational. And uh, the thing that really stood out to me was all of these little tiny parts. Uh, it is incredible to think that something so small can be so important for the whole motor working. Uh, qu quite an interesting experience. Now I begin with this story because that experience of pulling apart that lawnmower and examining all these little parts, it actually reminded me uh, of this passage. Uh, because <clears throat> uh, like that lawnmower engine, uh, there is something very small and easily overlooked in this passage that is the key for the whole thing to work. Uh, this passage, is, it's actually about how you continue on in the Christian life, how you grow to maturity, but the key to it, the key to seeing how it all works, is something very small that we could easily overlook, unless, of course, like a lawnmower engine, we had to pull it all apart and examine every little bit. That's, that's actually the foundational work of a sermon. You've got to examine every little word. And it's this word, in. I don't know if you noticed when I read the passage, this word, in, kept on being repeated. You see, when Paul uses the word in, and he puts it with Christ, so that we get this little phrase, in Christ, or in him, 
or he puts another way he puts it is with him but that little phrase in him in Christ or with him that is so important for understanding what it means to be a Christian and how the Christian life works in Christ that is the key to it all See, the way to live and to grow as a Christian is to live in Christ. And that's what this uh, passage is all about uh, today. And so we're going to learn about what it means to live in Christ. Uh, First, Paul lays out the principle in verses 6 to 7 of what living in Christ is. And then he tells us that there's a danger that we need to avoid as we do that in verse 8. And then finally, he gives us four reasons why we need to avoid that danger in verses 9 to 15. So let's think about what does it mean to live in Christ? In Christ. Well, have a look at verse 6 again. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. See, that that verse 6 is a summary of the Christian life from beginning to end. How does the Christian life begin? You receive Christ Jesus the Lord. How does it keep going? You walk in him. That's the summary of the Christian life. But it's also the summary of the letter to the Colossians. If um, someone asked you, what's Colossians about? Read verse 6 and you've covered the whole thing. That's what it's about. Just as you receive Christ, so walk in him. As I've been saying over and over, the Christian life, you come to Christ, you don't move on somewhere else, you keep going deeper into Jesus. That's how you grow. Walk in Him. See, walk means the way you live. That was a Jewish way of thinking about uh, a lifestyle. It's, it's this movement. You're going in a certain direction. There's a walking. You know, think of Psalm 1, uh, the idea of how you walk. And uh, here Paul says, walk in Christ. In Christ. Now, I cannot convey how important that is, that little phrase. Uh, in Christ. Paul, he, he connects everything he says in this passage to being in Christ. And if you read through all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, you will find he does that absolutely everywhere. Everything Paul says in his letters, he always brings back to this idea of being in Christ. In Christ. It's, it's the, the heart of Paul's theology, I guess you could say. So what does it mean, in Christ? Uh, theologians describe it like this. They, they say it's conveying the idea of being united to Christ. So that when you become a Christian, you're not just a follower of Jesus, even though you are, You're not just under the authority of Jesus, even though you are, but to be a Christian, the heart of it is actually to be in Christ. In Christ. So that means that everything that is true about Jesus, you know, the the, the fact that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross to pay for sin, that he uh, rose again victorious, all of these things that Jesus achieved, if you're in Christ, that means that all of that is true of you as well. That you were there with Jesus, everything that Jesus did. If you're in him, it's as if you have done those things too. That's what it means to be in Christ. Um, Jesus actually gave us that very helpful illustration of the vine and the branches. 
So uh, a branch, uh, what is a branch on its own? It's just a dead stick. But if it's connected to the vine, it has life, it has growth. Uh, what's true of the vine is true of the branch. If the vine is healthy, the branch is healthy. If the vine is well watered, the branch is well watered. See, it's, there's that connection. And that's the idea of being in Christ. Uh, when God looks at you, he sees you not as just you on your own, but he sees you as in Christ. Christ's record is your record. Christ's life is your life. There's that <coughs> vital connection. <coughs> and so, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 6, Paul is saying that the way to live the Christian life is to go on walking in Christ. That is living your life living out this reality that I am someone who is united to Christ. That's the heart of the Christian life. And uh, Paul gets that across a little bit more in verse 7 with a couple of helpful illustrations. It's always good to have an illustration to understand things. And Paul gives us two illustrations where he says uh, that we are to be rooted and built up in him. So rooted and built up, uh, rooted is a the illustration of a tree. Uh, a tree is something that um, it grows in one spot and it's constantly changing, but it never moves from that one spot. Where it begins is where it stays for its whole life. Rooted, right there. That's, that's a great under way of thinking about the Christian life. You come to Christ, you don't then move on to something else. You grow more and more in Him. You go deeper and deeper into Him. And then he also has that illustration of um, being built up. And that's the picture of a building under construction. So a building that's under construction, it's constantly changing. It's constantly improving. Uh, I've mentioned before that um, as a family, we try to go for a walk once a day, usually in the evening straight after dinner. And uh, most nights we walk past a house that's been under construction um, all of this year. And every time we go past it, we can see just a little bit more progress. It's been very interesting because we've seen the whole process from clearing the land to digging the foundations to laying the, the floor and, and all the way up. Right now, they're up to the point where they've just put the ridge capping on the roof. Uh, so we've watched this house, this progress happen over time. And again, that's a picture of the Christian life. When you come to Christ, what happens to you? You don't stay the same. You grow, you change, you improve. That's what happens to someone who is united to Christ. Uh, and in practice, what that actually means is that Christ's life becomes more obvious in your life. See, because when you are united to Christ, you're in Him and He is in you. And so what happens? You start to see Christ's life in you more. Now, his patience becomes more evident in your life. His humility, his love, his compassion towards others, his truth, all of these things become more evident in your life. Is that happening to you? Well, how does it happen? Well, let's read on. Paul says, rooted and built up in him <clears throat> and established in the faith just as you were taught. 
So established in the faith, the faith there means the, the message of the gospel, the content of the gospel. And uh, what it's saying is that the way we grow is we, we grow as we're taught, as we're taught the gospel. We all need teaching that is gospel-centered, teaching that constantly brings us back to our foundation of who we are in Christ and unpacks how that works out in practice. That's why um, when, you, when you come to church or when you go to a Bible study, what is it you're learning every time? Christ. Who you are in Christ, living out. That's, that's the heart of it all. Now, if you come and you hear sermons week after week and you don't hear anything about Jesus, that's not teaching the Bible because the Bible is all about Christ. It's all about helping you live out your life in Him. And we all need that. That's how we grow. And as we learn, as we grow, as we live out who we are in Jesus, what will be the evidence of that? Apart from the change, what will be the, what will be the telltale sign that we really are rooted in Christ and we really are growing in Him? The telltale sign will be, as Paul puts down the end here, abounding in thanksgiving. And that really is a good test to know, am I in Christ and growing in Him? Is there gratitude in your life? And that makes sense because what is the heart of being in Christ? It's, I am a sinner saved by grace. Everything good that I have, everything good that I do is because of Christ in me. It's all by grace. And so even when I see good things in my life, evidence of God's work, fruit, who deserves the praise and glory? It's Christ. It's his work. And so that means the, the, the evidence that this is all happening is gratitude, abounding in thanksgiving. I'm thankful for who I am. I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for what I can do. See, this is actually quite exciting. Uh, it's also confronting, though, isn't it? Because maybe some of you here are starting to reflect on your life now, thinking... I think I've forgotten who I am. I think I've forgotten recently what I am. A new creation in Christ. I haven't been walking in Jesus. I've been distracted. And yes, it's been a hard year. We've all been separated. It's, it's been tough. And it is easy to get distracted. It's easy to become stuck. It's easy to become stagnant. To take our eyes off Jesus and start to, to focus on other things in life. And then next thing you know, you're not living out a thankful life. Uh, perhaps your life hasn't been characterized by thanksgiving lately, but rather by grumbling, abounding in grumbling. Or maybe today this passage is calling you back to remember who you are, back to your foundations, that I am someone who is in Christ. I have something to be thankful for. Back to life in Christ. And so as you can see, the way to live the Christian life, the way to grow as a believer, is by sticking with Jesus, going deeper into who you are in Him, uh, living out the reality that you are a person who is united to Christ. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So that's the principle. 
That's the heart of it all. Now, with that, there is a danger to avoid. And Paul lays that, out that danger in verse 8, where he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so the danger is uh, this philosophy that Paul also calls empty deceit. What is that um, philosophy? Well, that word philosophy, he means someone's outlook on life. Uh, another way to put it would be uh, someone's worldview. You know, the, the way someone sees the world, the way they interpret things, uh, what, what they value, uh, what they think is most important. Um, the Colossians were surrounded by people with a different outlook on life. Uh, and Paul describes it as being according to human tradition, which is like saying it's of human origin. It's something that's originated from uh, within humanity. Uh, he says it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. Uh, that's a very uh, tricky phrase to understand. It's most likely that what Paul is talking about there is, uh, he's talking about a philosophy that that's shaped by the religious, spiritual, and cultural assumptions of the day. See, every culture has assumptions about how life works. And uh, that's the idea he's getting at there. But, but the real issue with it all, of course, as he puts at the end, it's not according to Christ. Okay, if Christ is everything, then anything that's outside of Christ is not true, ultimately. And Paul says, make sure you don't get taken captive. Okay, so what, okay, deceptive philosophies, let's try to think about these a little bit deeper. Do you know a good way to think about deceptive philosophies that Paul is talking about here is to think about them as the answers that our culture gives to the deep fears within every human heart. Okay, every single human being has deep fears that they look somewhere for answers. Deep fear. So here's some examples. Uh, the main one, of course, would be the fear of death. Everyone dies. What happens at death? That's a deep fear that everyone has. Whether they acknowledge it or not, it's always there. It's always nagging away at you. Uh, could be another fear would be the fear of living a meaningless life. Perhaps that's one that our culture faces quite a lot. Uh, it could be the fear of not measuring up, of being exposed, the fear of shame. Perhaps it's the fear of not being accepted by others or even the fear of divine rejection. The fear of pain and suffering is a, a huge fear that many face. The fear of losing control, the fear of not being able to cope in life, the fear of not being able to resolve some flaw in your character, or the fear of not being able to overcome some ailment, uh, the fear of evil powers destroying you. These are the kinds of fears that every single human being has. And it, certain cultures emphasize certain fears more than others. So if you go into uh, an Eastern culture, for example, there will be certain fears that grip that culture more than they do in the West. And in the West, there's certain views that grip us more than others. But these fears are very powerful. And so every culture has ways of trying to alleviate these fears, providing answers 
to help people cope, to live, to, to have that sense of purpose and knowing where you're going. These are the philosophical assumptions that Paul is talking about. And, and we live in a culture where there are different philosophies. Uh, philosophy and empty deceit. Things not according to Christ. And Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by these things. Why would Paul have to warn the Colossians about that? Three verses earlier, he, he praised them for being firm in their faith in Christ. And yet he warns them. And so there must be a sense in which we're all at danger. We're all at risk of listening to these philosophies and empty deceit and being distracted from Christ, thinking that Jesus is not enough, thinking that if I really want to enjoy life, if I really want to have purpose, if I really want to overcome the struggles I have, that I need something more, something more that my culture is calling me to embrace. We all live with that every single day. Now, if you watch TV, you're constantly consuming media and advertisements that are preaching to you certain values, things that you, you begin to think, I need those things. That's what will make my life complete. And uh, we, can, we can easily be, be taking on board certain assumptions that make us lose touch with the reality of being in Christ thinking that he's not enough. And see, that's the real danger of these deceitful philosophies. They shift your focus away from Christ to thinking that Jesus isn't enough to know God, that Jesus isn't enough to live a fulfilled life, that Jesus isn't enough to face the future without fear, or that he's not enough to overcome the deep struggles that you have. That's the danger. Uh, it's the danger of thinking something more is needed in life. Well then how do you avoid that danger? What is the answer to uh, avoiding the, the or being taken captive? What's the, what's the answer? And the answer is if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, you just need to realize how complete you already are in Him. Okay, whatever you can find in, in another religion or another worldview or in, <clears throat> in another belief system anything you can find that seeks to alleviate these deep fears in the human heart, whatever you can find outside of Christ, in the end it's all empty compared to what you already have in him. That's the argument that Paul makes in verses 9 to 15. Now, verses 9 to 15, they are very uh, deep theological uh, ideas, but we've got some time so we can unpack them. Uh, let's get into four ways that we need to realize how complete we are in Christ so that we don't have to go searching elsewhere for these answers. So have a look at the first one. The first thing Paul wants us to, t to know in verses 9 to 10 is that if we have Christ, we know God fully. We know God fully. So in verse 9 he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of... Oh, sorry, the head of all rule and authority. So here Paul is reminding us, as he already has in the letter, that Jesus is fully God. All the fullness of God dwells bodily in Christ. 
And so that means if you want to find God, there's only one place to go. It's Jesus. The fullness of God is bodily in Jesus. See, Jesus is not part man and part God. He is fully man and fully God. And so if you have Jesus, you know God fully. There's nothing more you need to search for. You know God as much as you could ever possibly need to know or want to know. You know him fully in God. In fact, Paul goes on to say, and you have been filled in him. There's that phrase, in him. See how he's connecting it to union with Christ? When you're in Jesus, you know God absolutely fully. Now think about something. If something is completely full, is there any room for anything else? No, it is completely full. And that's what Paul is saying about your knowledge and experience of God. If you're in Christ, it is full. There's nothing more you can find outside of Jesus. Uh, there's no higher experience of God that you can have outside of Christ. And that, that's quite remarkable to really dwell on. Uh, you know, if you come from a Catholic background, you, you will know the struggle of this because you have been brought up to, to be told, or tell, people told you, if you really want to know God, you need, also need Mary. She'll help you get better access. Uh, if you've grown up in some other circles, you might think that you need a certain type of pastor to grant you better access to God. You don't need any of that. If you are in Christ, you know God fully as much as there is to know. So don't go looking anywhere else for an experience of God. Go deeper into Christ. Uh, here's another reason why you, can, you don't need to go looking anywhere else. The second one is that in Jesus is the answer to all of our struggles with sin. All of the struggles. We all have struggles with sin. What is the answer to them? Christ alone. So you have a look at verses uh, 11 to 13, where Paul writes, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Now, what does all of that mean? Circumcision, baptism, raised... Uh, all of these, again, it's, it's all communicating the idea of union with Christ. Do you know circumcision and baptism are both outward signs which, were all, which always point to union with Christ? See, in the, in the Old Covenant, before Jesus came, God gave a sign to his people, and the sign was pointing them always to union with Christ. It was a sign pointing them that they needed their hearts to be circumcised. That in, their, in our hearts is what Paul calls here the body of flesh. The body of flesh is talking about the sinful bent of our hearts. It's, it's inside all of us. It needs to be cut off, which is what circumcision pointed to. And Paul says, 
all of us have been circumcised by a circumcision not done with hands. So he's talking about the circumcision of the heart. When did that happen? It happened at the cross when Jesus died to pay for our sin. That's where our sin nature was cut off. And we've been raised to a new life which is now represented by baptism in the new covenant. And uh, all of this is saying that if you are in Christ, then your relationship to sin has dramatically changed. You are no longer ruled by it. You are no longer dead in sin. You are now alive to God. You have the ability to see sin for what it is, to resist it, to struggle and fight against it. See, someone who is dead in sin doesn't fight against sin. They don't struggle with sin. They're not aware of it as being a reality. But someone who is alive to God, as you are in Christ, you know sin. You know how awful it is. You know how it torments your life. And how, it, how, it gr- how when you commit sin, how it grieves the God who saved you. And so you have the ability to fight it and put it to death. And all of that is given to you in Christ. Okay? Now you're always going to have people come along and say to you, here is the secret to defeating sin in your life. Here is the magic five steps that will lead you to perfection. Or here is the magic pill that will change your life overnight. You know, always promising something more, something, you know, this new technique or this new practice that will, will dramatically improve your life. But if it's not Christ, if it's not taking you deeper into Christ, do you know what Paul says about it? Empty deceit. It will not give life. We're actually going to come back to this next week because Paul comes back to that again. But you just need to see today, if you have Christ, you have all you need to be able to fight and resist against sin and see progress. It's in Jesus. Don't go looking elsewhere. Go deeper into him. Okay, so we know God fully in Christ. We have all we need to struggle against sin. Uh, third, we, in Christ we have the answer to all the things we've ever done wrong. Okay, the freedom from all the things we've ever done wrong. So have a look at verse 13. Uh, halfway through it says, God made alive uh, together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, all of us here in this room have a record of sin. And that record of sin is extremely long. Do you know, we all sin against God in ways that we don't even realise, which means that the record of sin that we have, if it was listed out, I don't believe there'd be enough paper in the whole world to write down all of the things we've done against God. That's the list, the record of debt that we all have. What do we do with that? The answer, in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, that means that when Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin, you died. You died. That means your sin has been paid for in full. That's what Paul means by saying that he nailed it to the cross. That's, that's a picture of Jesus being put on the cross 
our record being put on him and him dying to pay for every little, every last sin on that list. Paid for all in full. And that means right now, if you're in Christ, everything you have done wrong, everything you've done against God, everything you've done against others, it's paid for, it's taken away. God no longer holds that against you. So if you go looking for that list today, it's not there. It can't be found. God's taken it away. You've cancelled it by nailing it to the cross. And so that means that in Christ today, you are forgiven. You are forgiven for everything you've done wrong. All your past failures are taken away. Every time you sin in your life, as we all continue to do. Even when you've failed for the millionth time, if you are in Christ, that's taken away. God no longer holds that against you. Do you see how freeing this is? That means that when you sin, you don't have to go around beating yourself up, punishing yourself. You don't have to do that because Christ was punished in your place so that you no longer have to. You don't have to make bargains with God hoping that if you do a few little good things that might get you back into his good books. You don't have to do that. You don't have to hope that at the end of your life maybe enough good deeds will outweigh the bad. That's what other religions will teach you. But no, no, we have Christ. All of our sin is gone because he's paid for it all. And so... When God now looks at you, he actually sees you as perfect because he looks at you in Christ. Can you believe that that is true? And I say it like that because it is hard to accept that fact. We all need to think about it every day. Hey, I'm in Christ. That's how God looks at me. So I'm free from the guilt and the shame of past failings. And so walk in that. Walk in that. Uh, the fourth one, here's the final one. In Christ you are completely set free from all evil. Uh, in verse 15 he says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the rulers and authorities in this verse are Satan and all of his helpers. So Satan and all of his helpers. This is the spiritual, spiritual realm of evil. And uh, Christ has triumphed all over all of them at the cross. And Paul, notice how Paul writes in this verse that he disarmed the rulers and put them to open shame. He's actually referring to a common um, thing that happened in that day that when a Roman general went out to war against some hostile um, group, uh, that when that general defeated that army, he would come back into the city in this great procession, and all of the people of the city would line the streets, cheering on their general, and what, looking at this powerful army struck by after this great victory, and at the end of that pr procession, which was kind of like the, um, uh, was it the grand final parade, kind of like that, at the end of this procession was these um, defeated enemies 
bound in chains, looking very humiliated. And as they walked past the crowd, the crowd would laugh at them and point at them and say, ha, ha, look at you now. Where is your power now? It's all been stripped away. That was the whole point of that procession. It was to show the people of the village, you no longer have to fear that hostile enemy. Their power is gone. And that's what Paul is saying has happened to Satan and all of his helpers at the cross, which means that if you're in Christ, then you can look at Satan in exactly the same way. Ha, where is your power now? It's been stripped. And so that means that even though Satan roars and seeks to devour and tempts and wants nothing more than to drag you with him into hell, he has no claim on you in Christ, which is why over and over in the New Testament it tells us that we don't have to fear Satan, that he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world. It tells you that you can resist him and what he will he do? He will flee. He will be like a little dog scurrying off with its tail between his legs. And so you no longer have to fear Satan. You need to remember who you are in Christ and that will give you the ability to say, no, I will not listen to your lies. I will not listen to your temptations. I will walk in Christ in that power that I have in him. And so now we're starting to see what it means to be complete in Christ. We have everything we need. We know God fully. We can fight against sin with power. Uh, we, all the past failures, we don't have to let them rule us anymore. We're not bound by them anymore. We can resist Satan. That's everything you need to know God, to enjoy him, to live a fruitful life, to face the future without any fear. It's all in Christ. You have it all now in Christ. You don't have to go looking anywhere else. What do you need to be? You need to be like a tree. A tree starts in one spot and it goes deeper and higher in that one spot for all of its life. What is that spot? It is Christ. That's how you live the Christian life. Stick with Jesus. Not shifting but living out this reality of who you are in Christ. I am a person. You say to yourself, I am someone united to Christ. His life is mine. He is living in me, and I am living in him. That's what it's all about. <laughs>